Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, a little bit of that, too, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles every month on the writing life and on the craft and business of writing, but also my weekly or two or three time a week blog about all things creative. Yes, that's there. But we also have video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My interview with Annabelle Abbs, author of The Joyce Girl, fascinating woman, came to writing a little later in life. It's good to talk to people like that. Not everybody does it when they're kids. She didn't. She lived a full life in the world of high tech before switching over to novel writing. Good conversation. You can check it out at authormagazine.org. Of course, we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These good people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955, and they're still doing it, still going to do it, going to do our conference virtually this year. It should be a lot of fun, uh, and I hope you can be a part of it, no matter where you are. That's the one advantage, to, I suppose, to what we're all going through, that anyone can attend in some form or another. A bunch of conferences are doing that up in Alaska. Portland, just to name a few that I'm going to be a part of. So listen, I hope you can make it. And if you find, want to find out more about it, go to pnwa.org. Yes, indeed. Well, oh, I do love talking about memoir. I do love talking about making stories out of our life. And today's guest, Heather Siegel, has written a good one. Yes, she has. She's written a couple of them. Just got a new one out, though. Uh, she's a writer. Heather is uh, at a teacher and, a cre- uh, and creative with interests in the arts, food, and animal welfare. In her past life, she founded several independent businesses, including a coffee house, a cafe, an organic juice bar, and a natural beauty bar. She currently teaches creative writing and academic writing for local colleges, continuing education programs, and private workshops. She's also the author of two memoirs. The first one, Out from the Underworld, and most recently, The King and the Quirky. And she's here with us now. If I can get her off hold, there she is. Hi, Heather. How are you doing? Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Good. How are you? I, I'm great. I'm great. I was just seeing in the news. You're on Long Island. Yes. I believe still, yes, uh, that your state for the first time recorded not a single COVID fatality yesterday. Is that oh, true? Oh, that's great to hear. For Isn't sure. It? Oh, yeah. boy. I wish we could say the same out here. How's not it going here. there? Eh, we were we were kind of like flattening the curve, and then the more rural portions of our state finally got hit, and they were not really practicing the mm. normal things, and so it exploded there, and so it's picked up again. Yeah. <sighs> Such as it, it's just it's going to be a long ride. It's a long ride. I like to ask how are, you know for a writer, for a teacher. I'm a teacher too, and I do miss being in a classroom. For sure, uh, but. But uh, how are you doing with this situation? Well, um, you know, the Zoom thing has been great, uh, except for maybe the technical issues. Um, yeah. It's been great to uh, still have that rolling for writers who are working on their works. Um, there was a local university. I was helping them through their writing center, and uh-huh. uh, students were still plugging away and still writing their papers and getting their jobs done. And, um, I mean, that was great that they were able to, to still do that, but it's not the same. No, 
Now, there's an energy. You get. It's not bad. I just taught one for a bunch of people the other day, Saturday. It was okay, you know, but it's just not the same as the energy in the room, I have to admit. Yeah. But we make do. And so, all right. So, Heather, here you've got two memoirs. Um, King and the Quirky just came out. I came out, uh, what was it, in May? When did it come out? When was that published? It was scheduled for April 29th, and then the publisher decided to wait, and uh-huh. we went for June 19th. I had a, a book launch. Right. right. In my okay. backyard. So the, in your backyard. <laughs> uh, you, I, I, I got invited to that somehow, even though I'm in Seattle. Uh, was it, it was going to be a virtual event, though. That was the idea. It, yes, it was a virtual event. Right. Okay. Um, I think that's why I thought you lived in Seattle, since you invited me to your book launch. I thought, oh, she must be a Seattleite. Um, okay. So, but writing has been around in your life for a long time. Yeah. I mean, even though it's taken you, like a lot of people, some years to start doing it professionally, it was always sort of there on the back burner. Is that fair to say? Even when you were a young person? Yes. Um, it was in my teens that I became a reader. And then that led to me wanting to become a writer, and uh, it was mostly nonfiction narratives that I had read. So that was why I wanted. That's why I was even drawn to memoir. And uh, but I actually was. I didn't. I didn't try to write anything per se until I was in my early 30s, and that was because during my 20s I was too busy working and and yeah. surviving and just trying to, um, you know, stay above water. Yeah. Well, so that's interesting. I want to back up a little bit because you said you started reading in your teens, which is actually an unusual time to begin reading. Usually I found people either start reading like super young, you know, or well, they – Well, I mean, of course some... I did the Judy Bloom thing and, you know, all, right. so you did a little <laughs> did all bit of that. that. But um, and, I, and I always like stories, but um, it was when I – the first memoir is partially about this literal underworld that I was in. It was a basement apartment that I lived in Uh with my funeral director father. And (laughs) um, I think that I, that's when I was really searching for some sort of answers that I wasn't necessarily getting from the adults around me. And I stumbled upon, um, you know, this genre. I don't even know if creative nonfiction was like a term being used then. I don't think so. I'm going to say like the late eighties. And, um, and so I would read these narratives, and I, I just couldn't believe, you know, people had gone through what they had gone through. And so that is what really made me want to continue reading, and I became right. an English major and all that. And you had kind of – I mean, this book deals with your adulthood. It deals with specifically your relationship, your marriage, and you, you – you sort of reference your childhood and the difficulty you had with your father who um, kind of vacated emotionally after your mom – after your mom was out of the picture. Yeah. And it sounds like childhood, the childhood was, like a lot of memoirists, good fodder for stories, good fodder for the beginning of a me- – because usually the memoirist does not have the most balanced, even childhood. That's been – Yeah, we're like stand-up comedians. There's usually a yeah, dark that's cast. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, and so t- tell me a bit about that if you're – I'm not going to put you on the couch, but what was that like? What was the challenge of that? <laughs> oh, and, oh, here, I got a better one for you. I, yeah. I do think writers, I was just writing about this, that writers often have a question that they're sort of turning over in their mind over and over and over again about maybe safety or intimacy or success or loss. It's something that we address again and again. And a lot of time that question gets asked 
in our youth, in our childhood, and we don't answer it correctly. Yeah, and so we spend I think our life. What I would you say that question on. was? I, yeah, I what 100% was that question agree with for that. you? So my question was, what the hell is wrong with these adults around us? <laughs> um, but really, that was your when question. I, when I was in my early 30s and I wanted to you know, access that material, by then a different question had formed, and that was people asking me, how are you guys so normal, my brother, my sister, and I? And right, um, when right. they would hear this ridiculousness, because it was really, I think the most um, amazing part of my story is that none of it needed to happen. It was like right, completely right. unnecessary. Um, and so we, and so, I, and I also developed a sense of humor being that right. teen, write a teen reader because I would read other stories and I would realize, well, this is terrible what I'm living through, but what they live through is worse. And so right. that gave me the perspective. And so I just developed almost like a, a sarcastic side to me and that was the that was like the seedling of the voice that you hear in the first right. memoir it's more balanced and healed you know from when i yeah. What, yeah but but there's a little little edge to it here and there sure and that was well, what the, i was feeling at the time thinking that so back to the question which is what is why hold on are you telling me that you are a funeral director and you make x amount of dollars and we can't actually get out of this like 800 square foot basement apartment right, and right. get an apartment with windows why right? right so that was like those were the burning questions but there was yeah. also nobody would tell me what happened to my mother so there was the mysterious right. disappearance of my mother so and a few questions for that book yeah well you know so there's a lot because the thing about being a child is that um you just don't have any tools to deal with what comes along. You know, you yeah. have some tools, but a lot of it's just, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And if, and if your adults are, have no tools either, which it sounds like he was, yeah. he was, he was working with a limited toolbox, uh, you know, there you are. You've got to figure it out. And sarcasm, I think, is interesting because it's one attempt, it strikes me, to sort of put your suffering in some sort of, to minimize it away, to make, to try to make life not so serious. Because if you take it so seriously, it can overwhelm you. And the sarcasm mm -hmm. can make it all just seem like, look, it's all material, kind of. Yeah. But I had Does to strip make... a lot of that away, eventually, yeah. to actually yeah. access the real story. Yeah. The real, so, story, real story of what was actually at, because you were kind of skating above it a little bit with the sarcasm. Yeah, it was just it, it, exactly. It kept it yeah. at a surface level. So, all right, so you start writing in your 30s, and when I meet you in this book, The King and the Quirky, you, you are running a business and uh, go, 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 and, 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 but thinking about writing. Writing is sort of there on your mind, if I'm, if I'm remembering. Yeah. In fact, maybe you've actually studied it or are going to study it. Yeah, yeah or so did I was you going study through it? an MFA program at the right, time. Right, right. So you were mm -hmm. owning a business and doing an MFA program. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So by that time, it had. That's interesting because you know you've, you're you're you know you're running a business which is actually doing well, you know, and it's requiring a lot of you, but yet you still decided you wanted to go for an MFA program. Talk to me about that. So, um, as I mentioned, there's a connection between you know the teen years and then the 30s because the 20s was yeah. just me working hard, building this business that I had. Um, you know, trying to do better than the adults around me had done. Right. I wanted right. to 
uh, I didn't want to live in a basement apartment. It was really an attempt to stay out of the basement in my 20s. So I didn't have right. time to sit around and, and study writing. I just didn't I, – I, didn't, I was in more survival mode and also like a yeah. building, building up my life. But I always yeah. came back to writing, and I was constantly reading throughout. And um, I actually decided to go for – uh, I decided to take a few courses at a local college – and I ended up meeting Philip Lopate there. And wow. yeah, wow. Uh, well, he was running, he was heading the program there. Okay. And I didn't know who he was. And I walked into the uh, classroom and he said, All right, well, listen, you know, I'm uh, a published author. I have a few books here. <laughs> I downplayed it more. Yeah, there's a stack of books on the, on the table. And he said, um, you know, you may or may not have heard of me, but uh, yeah, I think I have a few things to teach you guys about writing. And uh-huh. so, oh, uh, good for it him. was just good for him that he was humble. That's good. Totally humble. And he asked us to bring in our work, and I brought in my work. And I was—I actually wrote a short story, and he made me read it out loud. It was 18 pages, and I read wow. it out loud. And he said, um, "You know, come to my office after this." Everyone was like, "This is so great!" This is—he's like, "What is this?" He's like, "This is like propaganda for people for the ethical treatment of animals." Because <laughs> it really was. <laughs> and he said, "What happened to that nonfiction you wrote to get into this program?" And. Right. Uh, yeah, and so I went to his office, and he said, we need to get you into a real writing program. And I was like, wow, uh, okay. And so I ended up sent, giving him – I had sort of like a one-on-one with him. I studied with him one semester, and I ended up um, transferring to a different program. And then I began to study in earnest. So he right. was really an amazing mentor. That's great. How lucky. Oh, oh how lucky. All right. You know what's interesting is um, – so you're in your 20s, and like actually a lot of people, I think a lot of people spend their 20s trying to figure out just how to survive, even if they weren't stuck in a basement for their childhood. You know, I just think there's, yeah, sure. there's a sense of like, how do I do this? Like, how do I be a grown up really? Like, what? But I, but the thing about writing is, it's and still me. follow and your passion. Right, you got to follow your mm-hmm. passion. And the thing is, is that when I teach adults for my clients, um, a lot of time I'm working with people who are older who have, you know, had a, you know, midway through their lives and they are used to, they're not used to the sort of um, open-endedness of that writing really, you can't be focused on survival, I don't think, and be writing. You have to have your sights a little higher than just like paying the bills, as important as that is, because it just writing asks something else of you. Does that make sense? To, to look yeah. at life beyond just survival. Like, why are we here? Uh, for sure. And I yeah. mean, I think there's also like, um, you can't help it. I mean, there, I, I'm just a creative person and, and writing to me is an extension of that creativity. And I do need to constantly be doing something, put my hands in something, whether it's yeah. cooking a meal or um, whether it's um, reading or whether it's uh, writing, whether it's starting a business or creating something from scratch, I actually feel like those are all the same. So it, I think it might just be, um, you know, a creativity thing for me yeah. where I, well, I have I have to constantly be creating and writing is one form of that. But I yes. do agree that um, that you we're not just accepting. We're not just robotically going through life and saying, well, this is it and that's fine. Right. I only There's you a can. desire. Yes. And the desire, I always think, like, if I had a muse, if I could talk to her, 
she would say, I don't care about your checkbook. I don't care where this thing gets published or not. I just want to tell a story. You can worry about all that other stuff, but I'm just here to play. I'm just here to tell a story. And all that other stuff that you're worried about, that's not my concern at all. I feel like that would be her that would be her message to me if she could speak directly. I don't know about I yours, agree. but that um, is, is my. I, I mean, and I, I agree that 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 works for a lot of creatives, um, and yeah. I think that we have to do that, and I think that we have to create the community to support that for each other, yes. and not yeah, and not just say, all right, well, what's the backup plan, and automatically go to that. But we right. all do need a backup plan, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I think, well, any, well, speaking of backup plans, so the book, The King and the Quirky. So your first book was about, I didn't, I didn't get to read out from, from the underworld, though I do love the title, I have to say. Uh, but that was, so that was sort of the, about your youth, yes, about your teenage years and 20s, basically? Uh, yeah, it's brought up into my 20s, yes. Okay. So this sort of picks up, in a way, some time shortly after that. Uh, we meet you, you're busy. You're working, marriage is a joke, no one really gets married and falls in love, and so you but, 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 and you're writing. And so this story uh, is the story of a marriage in, in part. I mean, that's a big part of what it's about. Um, what made you decide this needed a memoir? What was it that said, write about this, Heather? Okay, so... <laughs> um... I think that, you know, even just it connects with what you're saying before, which is like what's life about and, and right. you know, your muse doesn't care if you're paying your bills or not, you know. Um, and I, I think that for me, I was, and back to even what you're saying, asking about questions, what was the question, I think that I was um, surprised that I did fall for this whole love narrative kit and caboodle and went for yeah. it and then – I wasn't special, I learned. You know, I was like everyone else <laughs> where what? mine also faded. And how does that happen? And why are we even sold this love narrative? Um, and so there were many burning questions there. And those were the yeah. questions that I was just talking to my friends about and asking their opinion when we would have our coffee or wine or whatever it was. And um, I don't know that I thought – oh, I have to write a memoir about this. Instead, I was just examining my life. And right. I was also tickled by how different my husband and I were and yeah. how I knew this from the start, but I you know, I thought it would still all be fine. And right. uh, the very things that you know we love about somebody, I think, are the very things that can be our undoing in a relationship yeah. sometimes. So there were a lot of a million life lessons. And so what happened was it all started with me just kind of putzing around and just the idea that, um, and of course this was not for money. This was not even to try to get this piece published. It was, and it didn't never got published. It was just uh. me, you know, writing well. Uh, modeling, actually, Natalia Ginsburg's He and I essay, where he likes this. I, I've and, not read it. I've not oh, it's read fabulous. it. fabulous. It? Um, it's old, but yeah, it's fabulous. Um, so, you know, he likes this, he likes that, I like this, I like that, and she just, you know, go, and that's, that's the entire structure of the piece, and so uh -huh. I decided to just model it and do my own, and yeah. I was, I had so much fun. It was just. Really? What was fun was about just, it? It was just joyful. It was 
funny to me how ridiculous it was, how opposite we were. I mean, he's a yeah. man of science and logic and reason, yep. and I'm artsy and creative, and we could, I just can't even believe we actually fell for each other. Um, it's and pretty so, incredible. And so I just laughed, and I, I had so much fun with it, and when I was done, I just ended up sharing it with a few people. I think at the time I was trying to start a blog. I gave up on that. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe a few people read it and were cracking up, and they had fun reading it too. That's something I've learned is when I'm having fun writing something, people usually yeah. have fun reading yeah. it. Yeah. And I just kept going with it, but in a different way. I mean, I think – I don't know how you feel about it, but I think memoir is so layered – I think maybe oh, if yeah. you start out in one direction and wind up in a completely oh, different direction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're like fiction in that way. Like I always tell my memoir students, don't you think you know what your story's about? I don't care that it happened to you. Don't presume you know why you're writing it. Just know that you want to write about this thing, and you mm-hmm. know it lights up in your mind. Like go discover what actually was learned in that moment. Go discover what the actual story. I have to remember that. You know, even when I write like a little four hundred word essay, I'm like, don't presume you know what this is about, Bill. Right. You know, go be surprised. Sometimes it's buried in the middle. Right. Oh, absolutely. So what I found was as I was trying to just maybe expand this into like a story, I mean, I thought, who cares? Nobody wants to read about my like marriage (laughs) or an hour. Oh, God. No, but I don't mean it that like I'm not an interesting person. I just mean like as a memoirist, I really do think you have to say to yourself, like, you have to make this interesting to somebody who doesn't know you. So yep. um, if you if you want to share the story, and so I guess those questions that I was asking were universal questions, and I realized that the story is not that we're opposites. I realized that the story is about me falling for this narrative, losing a sense of independence, and needing to figure it out again. And that took a long time to even figure out what that story was, so it took a long time to write it. <laughs> yeah. I actually, in reading it, thought you guys had a lot in common. I thought that you, 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 the things that you were different about, you approached the same way. Like you approached your veganism or your vegetarianism. I can't. Are you vegan or, or vegetarian? I can't remember which. Which I'm had, neither in, now. <laughs> neither now. Okay. But I was a, I was a vegetarian. Uh, right. I don't think the, I ever went fully vegan. I went raw for a little bit, but oh, no, it was Lord. vegetarian. Okay. But when I met him, I was just introducing organic chicken into my life. Oh, okay. So you were still yeah. a little. Yeah, I thought there was actually some kind of that you approached things. There was a well. Not psychoanalyzing you, but there was like I thought you actually had a lot in common. You just you just applied it in different parts of your life in a way, oh, based on what I read. Yeah, I know. I thought you. So that was interesting. But I thought that you know the, the the narrative that you're dealing with, which is sort of like how do you how do you remain independent within the marriage? I mean, it was one of the yeah. things you were dealing with. Like, how do you just you know this is such a common theme. It seems like for women, maybe more than men. Although I think men, no, I think men do it too. They just talk about it differently. But I think they like because you know, if this is going to work, there's going to be compromise. There's going to be like blending. There's going to be, but you got to stay yourself. You still got to lead your own life. You still got to be your life, or else what's the point? Right, and I do right? think it is in at least in a, a traditional marriage uh, where the woman agrees to stay home, even if it's for a short yeah. while. That's sure. when things get tricky, in my opinion. Oh. And that doesn't have oh. to, you know, it doesn't, or whichever partner agrees to yeah. stay home. It doesn't um, matter. It just so happened that he made more money than me, so I was the one who stayed home. But also yeah. because of the motherlessness theme that I had yeah. in my first memoir, I was just like, I'm going to stay home, you know, and I'll be the sure. I'll be the caretaker. Um, 
that threw me for a loop, especially that's why I started it with being an independent person because I never thought that, I mean, I got married when I was 34. I didn't think that yeah. I'd be the person who would be having an identity crisis, you know, sure. a couple of years later. Um, and sure. wondering, and, and also, you know, no sense of financial feminism whatsoever. I mean, I didn't even know that term. Nobody told I've me met, that. You just introduced me to it, but thank you. I didn't have anybody <laughs> in my life say to me, listen, keep a separate account. Like nobody said that to me. Right. Uh, you better believe I'll be telling my daughter that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was uh, Amy Tan. You know, Amy, you, have yeah. you read Amy Tan? When I interviewed her, she made a big deal about like, I was not going to be financially dependent on the person I married. I was, she was just like, cause she came from a, I think an even more like patriarchal situation. Well, I didn't you know? see anybody before me do it. And and yeah. and get burned by it, and I didn't, you know, I so I had no, and also that the other thing is I, I I think I walked by the women's studies program in college thinking like feminism belonged to someone else, right? It was sort of a weird thing, um, and it might have been the group that I was hanging out with in college. I just felt like, well, I now I don't really want to go see the vagina monologues, you know, and also I was right. working. I had to go work on the weekends. Well, so you I didn't were kind to, of um. But you yeah. were, to some degree, it was different because you were so fiercely independent, it sounds but like, I already a young was person. a feminist, right? I didn't know it. Yeah, no. sort of naturally. Like, it wasn't right. like, I always thought of feminism as like a counter-narrative to patriarchy, that some people really need it because they've heard that one narrative so pounded into their heads. And But if you haven't absorbed it completely, you may not need it so much because you just naturally think, I can do whatever I want, which is the truth, of course. I Does think you're sense? completely nailing my story right now. That's exactly it. I I was already, you know, working and then I went and started my own business right out of college right. and yeah. so and I was my own boss and so I didn't right. it you know, I didn't you're right. I didn't and I was but, but I was spoiled. I didn't realize <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the work that had been put in and all the groundwork that had been laid for me. Well, what can you do? You're just living, you know, <laughs> just living your life, you know, and making your decisions. And uh, you, I don't know how much, I don't know, everybody, they were, people were just living their lives back then and laying the groundwork for you, you know, because you have laid the groundwork for somebody too, in your well, own way. I mean, I think that back then that was the whole uh, Anita Hill and the pubic sure. hair on the Coke can time. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was going on. Uh, so I yeah. was aware of it. Um, yeah. And I do think your definition of feminism was probably, you know, uh, relates to, like, well, the second wave of feminism, speaking. right? Yeah. Yeah. But, it's a um, story to counterbalance another crappy story. Right, but, but what is stay-at-home feminism? You know, is that yeah, does that even tough. exist? Because I mean, I studied under a radical feminist, and when I and yes, that's in the yeah, book. Yeah. And when I went to her, yeah. she said, "What? You're getting married? Yeah, I, I thought know. you wanted to be a writer." Yeah, I know. And she I, was not but having I was it. like, "Yeah, I couldn't." I put on my love song and I drove away, and I'm like, "I can do both," you know. It's yeah. <laughs> tough. But I just think I it's I unfortunately I think it has it's tied into you know finances are tied into you know, a sense of identity at home because sure. they can, at least in my case, be. it was. Yeah, it certainly can. Well, it comes, it's survival. It's, you know, and men have a whole thing around money where it's like my value is like how much money it's horrible, but it's, it's in the psychology of a lot of guys. Like this is what I'm worth, what I make right there. How much do I make that much? That's what I'm yep. worth. It's horrible. It's, it's suicidally incorrect 
but a lot of men <laughs> fall for it. It's really true. It's like it's no – well, it's kind of funny, but, it's, but it, it does drive men to some very dark places that like putting a number on their value, and a lot of them do. A lot of yeah. them do. Um, well, listen, Heather, we could just go on and on and talking about <laughs> – we, we just scratched the surface, but she's that interesting, you see? This is just oh, how, it, how it goes. Um, okay, so the book is the, is the King and the Quirky. You're the Quirky. Yes. You're not the king. Uh, and well, I'm not a queen. So I You're not a queen. You're the, the king quirky. Of the queen. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know what? I just got that, that instead of the king and the queen, oh, God, I'm so slow. You know, okay. I know it's probably not even grammatically correct because it's like the king and it's a noun and the parallelism. I know, it should be like a noun, but I really like the cue of the quirky. Well, of course. Oh, it just took me a while. Okay. So the book is The King and the Quirky. It's wherever fine books are sold, and it's uh, very readable and funny and gets into all kinds of juicy stuff. So I recommend it to my listeners, but I'm not quite through with you yet. First, first, Heather, if people want to learn about you, maybe they even want to take a Zoom memoir class with you. I don't know. Where can they find you? Uh, website, heathersiegel.net. That's dot the, net. Everything, dot net, people. Dot net. Everything's yeah. linked to there. And Siegel is... S-I-E-G-E-L. That's right. That's right. I spelled it correctly on this. And so if you <laughs> wanted you questioning, just there it is. Look at the blog. Look at the podcast. Okay. Then my last question for you is what I want you to do is finish this sentence. Ready? Oh. Yes. Finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? I mean, to live is trite, but um, – oh. To question. Oh, it's it's to good. Question. No, hey, the, this podcast starts off by saying what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. I hope it's not trite. I think it's true. Well, it is a chicken and egg thing for me, though, but I live and then I write about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and me both, kiddo. But then <laughs> when I write both. about it, you're right. I connect it to larger questions. So Yeah, yeah. No, no. Writing teaches you. I think life is creative. And writing teaches us to be creative on purpose as opposed to creative accidentally. That's what mm. I think. Yeah. I like that. Create something on purpose. Don't just – a lot of – everyone's creating something, but are you going to do it on purpose or are you just going to let it create itself? I think try to be mm. on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Heather, uh, you're pretty cool. Congratulations oh, on the book. Thank you. And, thank you, so uh, much. you know, when you write your next one, let me know. I will. Thank you so much for having me. It was you're fun very to welcome. Be here. Good luck with the book. All right. Thanks so much, Bill. All right. Take it easy. Take care. Yes, people. It teaches you how to live. It teaches you how to live. Be a creative person. Be the creative person that you already are. Come on. It's what you are. It's what you've always been. You know that. Yes, you do. You know that. Well, listen, next week, I hope my mic is working next week. God dang it. I might have to do some kind of emergency surgery or something. I don't know what it is. But at least we got to talk. Uh, so until next week when I will be back, uh, go find something you love to do and do it. <laughs>